0: Hello again and welcome to Campion Conversations, an informal podcast discussion of pop culture and the liberal arts. My name is Dr. Dre, lecturer in literature at Campion College. Born in 1892, John Ronald Rule Tolkien, or J.R.R. R. Tolkien, left an indelible impact upon the 20th century. He was a decorated soldier in the First World War, a professor of English language and literature at Oxford an editor of the definitive editions of some of ancient history's greatest texts, such as Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. But he is undoubtedly most famous for being a philologist, which is studying the etymology of ancient languages and even creating some of his own. Oh, and he also wrote some book about a hobbit or something. Not really sure how that turned out. Obviously, I'm being facetious. Tolkien's creations, The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings, were epics in the truest sense of the term, and they cemented his reputation as the father of modern fantasy literature, even if they were responsible for his most heinous crime, the creation of the insufferable character Tom Bombadil. But we are not here to talk about those works today, or not directly. Instead, we're discussing some of Tolkien's lesser-known works, as they've been selected by Mr. Thomas Flynn, lecturer in classical languages here at Campion College, as some of the texts that you should explore if you're interested in the liberal arts. So, Mr. Thomas Flynn, thank you so much for your text selection and for joining me to answer some questions.
1: Thank you for having me, Colin.
0: Okay, so... Tolkien's lesser works what what are we interested in yeah, talking this about?
1: Today? Is, well, I would not say lesser, but these are the the other Tolkien. So this is
0: the stuff that's usually ignored in well, your favor people of people would
1: not necessarily have read it. So you like okay. if you like the Hobbit, if you like the Lord of the Rings, some people do. Yes. Apparently. I'm, I'm one of them, but yes. And um, especially if you've tried The Silmarillion and thought at least it was okay, <laughs> okay. Um, there are some other works I try and recommend. Now, the first one is these are two very short works, which for talking, that's quite an achievement. <laughs> they're sometimes thought of as children's books. They're short, they don't have anything that a child would find too distressing, but they're not really. And Tolkien was one of those who didn't really believe there really wasn't such a thing as children's literature. There was just books you liked to read and books you didn't. And so the first one I'd recommend is Farmer Giles of Ham. Okay. Now, this is highly unusual in Tolkien's work. He was one of those obsessives who every single fictional idea he had got dragged into his larger fictional project, the whole history of Middle Earth and all that. Uh, the farmer Giles of Ham, he tells us in a letter, almost had that happen to it, but he managed to stop it happening. <laughs> so it's it's a completely standalone story. So um, he was conscious of that impulse oh, to fold everything. Yes, up. he was. He, he, um, he, he wrote a story about it, in fact. really. Um, but Farmer Giles of Ham uh, is a story about Giles, who's a farmer from a little village in Ham, it's oh, uh, i could have loosely that the time I loosely <laughs> it, it's set in oxfordshire recognisably oxfordshire but set in a non historical time possibly late antiquity sort of post arthur period and he encounters a giant a giant who attacks his village and he blows him off with a blunderbuss, which is a delightful bit of anachronism <laughs> and uh, because of this the king sends him a great big sword as a reward and it turns out that the sword is pretty good for killing dragons. And so uh, what the next big problem, when a dragon decides to move into the kingdom, Giles is called on to um, see, it, see him off. And so this, this is the story of uh, Giles' adventures and what happened next. It, it is funny, if you like that sort of thing. It is exciting and it, it, it's quite it's a pretty straightforward read so i highly recommend Fung and this album. is a
0: short fiction or a poem a short fiction oh great it's uh,
1: practically a novella at length it's certainly something you could very easily read in one sitting fantastic and funny playful yeah yeah it's it's, it's what you like about the hobbit and it doesn't go on for so long no not that i'm in any way criticizing the hobbit i no, no, no.
0: That's that and uh, bilbo from memory doesn't whip out a gun I mean, no, no. Well, um, uh, that
1: that that's the thing. It is yeah, it's, there's a sort of deliberate tongue-in-cheek <laughs> approach to this. So it's a sort of it is fantasyland before the industrial revolution.
0: And so, is it meant to be? I mean, not to dig too deep into it. It's obviously just a suggestion. But is it meant to be allegorical in any way? Is it sort of saying anything beyond just being a fun rollicking? Tolkien story? notoriously, famously hated allegory. Mm. Um, see the forward to the Lord of the Rings. So,
1: um, is it applicable? Which was the word he preferred? I'm um, sure it is, but um, mostly it's it's him playing with it's Tolkien. Some critics don't really grasp this. He really was fascinated by language and words, and he regarded them as highly important. There are critics who say, "Of course, he's not interested in that. that that's absurd. What a total waste!" No. He was very interested in words and names. And so there are um, little villages in Oxfordshire. There's a place called Worming Hall. And the story of Farmer Charles of Ham in some ways connects to that.
0: Oh, OK. Excellent. That sounds fun. What what else do we have? Um,
1: Well, there's also... This is the one closest thing Tolkien did write to Allegory. It's called Leaf by Niggle. And it's usually found in a collection called Tree and Leaf. All, All these stories are found in one larger collection called Tales of the Perilous Realm. But uh, Leaf by Niggle is is this story itself, and that precisely is an allegory about uh, Niggle. The name is significant, who is going to do, has to go on a journey. And he doesn't really want to go on a journey. But also, in the meantime, he's doing this huge painting of a tree. And he's obsessing over every last sound familiar, every last <laughs> detail. So Tolkien was aware of oh, his no. own own difficulties in that. Uh, the, story, the story, it is an allegory. It reads like an allegory. It doesn't have that kind of character engagement. You have sympathies for Nigel. And Tolkien, again, not a fan of the Industrial Revolution at all. Not a fan of trains, cars, aeroplanes, or any of them, really. Um, there is a train in um, Leaf by Niggle but it's a train that goes along a grassy railway line so
0: it's okay by Tolkien's book wow and so that one I mean, is that a precursor to the Lord of the Rings? No,
1: that... no. He he was writing it. I think pretty much as he finished the Lord of the Rings, that doesn't connect to the
0: Lord of the Rings either. Directly. But surely he would have been aware of the parallels. The, oh, the reluctant very, little yeah, character! Very much. He wrote it because he was. Okay, excellent. Any anything in that one that uh, again aside from the clear allegory that apparently no, he hated but was willing to steer he into? Did it that once? One. Yeah,
1: he did it. so that. That it is the the talking allegory. <laughs> um, uh, but it's it's again it's something you can read in a, a short space of time, which is not something you can say for the Lord of the Rings or. Or the last one I get to, and we've got one more before I get to the last one. Right. Now this is Smith of Wooden Major, which was the last thing I think Tolkien published in his lifetime, which began life. Um, he had was doing this all the time. He was asked to do things and then agreed, got going, and then the project grew and grew and grew. <laughs> um, this was started life as a preface for a fairy story by George MacDonald, Um, which uh, George MacDonald was an author who influenced both Tolkien and his friend C.S. Lewis and called The Golden Key and so this was Tolkien's attempt to explain um, what a fairy story is. So
0: you mean the etymology like stretching right back to the beginnings of where fairy stories come from? No not even
1: that just really what a fairy story is and and, and so what the purpose is and what it isn't so it isn't necessarily about silly creatures with diaphanous wings or anything like Mm. that. Uh, an idea he hated. So this is a story about a young man um, who becomes, who has an encounter with the fairies and how this affects his life. Again, he just about manages to keep that out of the Middle-earth stuff, but there is is a slight hint that it connects in some way. Certainly there are elves in it, and the elves are very much like the elves of the Silmarillion and the Lord of the Rings. Because I
0: don't remember fairies in The Lord Uh, of
1: the Rings, am I wrong? Uh, fairy is a general term for elf. Oh, okay. okay. So fairy is a general term for elf. So yes, there are there are. Okay. Um, he he dropped the term fairy later on because he he couldn't get it precisely to escape from the pretty little images that people had. So oh, in his earlier versions, um, the the elves were fairies. Wow. Um It's just that that is something that sounds really rather odd <laughs> in, uh, to modern ears and indeed to people of Tolkien's own day. Uh, so the final book I'd recommend. Now this is something. You really have to like Tolkien. If you like Tolkien, and if you like The Silmarillion, uh, if you're interested in study of the liberal arts, or indeed study of the arts generally, anything heavily text-based involving detailed scholarship about texts, I would suggest you read The History of Middle Earth. And There's <laughs> wow. a lot of it. There are 12 <laughs> volumes published by his son Christopher Tolkien, his, his literary executor. They are the... Drafts, it it should be known that Tolkien's... uh, The the Silmarillion, the the, uh, legends behind the Lord of the Rings, they weren't published in his lifetime and they were assembled for publication by his son Christopher. Um, But uh, Christopher Tolkien was dissatisfied with that as a way of presenting the material. So instead he tried a more... Despite the fact that he had put it together. Yeah, he didn't think it worked. Um, It it gave people a misleading effect. Some people thought that he'd written it himself. Right. um, uh, And that's not really not remotely true. In fact, Tolkien not only had written it, he'd actually written pretty much all of it many times over. It was just never in a single continuous shape. Um, So the history of Middle-earth are Tolkien's early drafts from the very early days, beginning in 1915, when he's he's trying to present, long before he thought of Bilbo Baggins, he's presenting this history of the elves um, as related to England. And uh, and how they so he presents them in a sort of backstory. So it's called the Book of Lost Tales. It's about a traveller who stumbles across an island, and these elves tell him these stories, and that's the beginning of things like the tale of Beren and Luthien and the fall of Gondolin and things like that. I had no idea it had that architecture of, of it originally. Originally, it did. yeah. Wow. So that's that's the Book of Lost Tales, volumes one and two. Um, that's just the first two of the twelve. Don't forget. Um, <laughs> okay. Then um, he presented the the first attempt at presenting the long poems Tolkien wrote, the epic poems in the um, in rhyming verse and also in the uh, classic English alliterative meter, um, like Beowulf. And then he moved on. There was as Tolkien. The setting story gradually fell away, and also Tolkien just got interested in the material. And so there are um, all sorts of versions. Tolkien started writing annals. He wrote annals in Anglo-Saxon. I think he wrote some of them in Elvish, too. And, and, and so there's loads of versions of all the stories in the background. And then, of course, beginning with uh, volume six, we start with the history of the writing of the Lord of the Rings and how Tolkien is trying to write this sequel. Um, so you see the, early, the very first drafts and then the um, early drafts. Um, of how, how he gradually gets the characters together, and initially um, the main character was a, a guy called Bingo, um, the son Bingo. of the son of Bilbo Baggins. They were helped Bingo. by another hobbit who most unusually wore shoes. That other hobbit's name was Trotter, and in fact, he wow. Trotter occupies the space in the narrative later occupied by Aragorn. So you see this this whole development as Tolkien. Um, Developed wow. a story, he realises it actually makes more sense to make Trotter a man. He, he carries on being called Trotter. Um, for the fans of Only Fools and Horses, yes, it does sound quite silly, but Tolkien knows, never saw Only Fools and Horses. And, and so the development of the, um, the writing of The Lord of the Rings and the the, the alternative attempts at different things. And then, then uh, Christopher Tolkien returned after that. To the later history of uh, the writing of the Silmarillion, and you get so you get all sorts of uh, different uh, the, the Tolkien's later ideas. In fact, Tolkien, in in the very end, uh, Tolkien was such an obsessive. He decided it made no sense to have the elves not being these incredibly wise beings who had no knowledge about cosmology. Um, and the nature of the universe and the Big Bang. and So um, he had to throw it all. He was going to throw it all out. He was at the end of his life. and um, But he never burned anything, so that's okay. Uh, so uh, that's the history. Now, the reason I recommend that to people who want to study the liberal arts is it's material you're already familiar with, broadly. Um, so if you're already a Tolkien fan, the history of Middle Earth, and you read it because it's fun, and it's more Tolkien, folks. But also, so it, because it's material you're already familiar with, It um, exposes potential students and anyone who's interested in the actual study of the liberal arts to the techniques of handling different manuscripts and reporting on manuscripts and evaluating manuscripts and 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 explain and how to the, the the intellectual equipment to handle. Uh, evolutions of a tale in, in different ways. And so uh, that, that that's one reason I'd... Uh, it, it basically, it's a soft entry into the language of scholarship if you happen to already like Tolkien. If you don't like Tolkien and you're not interested in this, there'll be something else. I don't know what it is. I can't help you with that today. But if you are a fan of Tolkien and you are interested in the study of liberal arts, I highly recommend The History of Middle-earth. And even if you don't what feel like the whopping great 12 volume, Smith of and Major, Farmer Giles of Ham...
0: And *Leaf by a Niggle* are all stories you'll find very enjoyable. So that is fantastic. Just that it, so it's not really the the name is a bit of a misnomer. Then it's, it's not really the history of Middle Earth. It's the history of the textual object. Exactly. Is. And, Middle- oh, and, and in you. fact, what what happens is Tolkien himself, and there's a sort of
1: rather very strong tradition in fantasy writing now because of it. Is he was obsessed with finding a totally consistent start to finish, mm. suit to nuts account of a mythology. But that's not what mythologies are like. And quite accidentally, he managed to create something that actually is like mythology, which is you have contradictory versions and you have alternative versions, versions where a a major character just doesn't appear. Um or and, and, and that and that is so inadvertently
0: Tolkien did actually create a real mythology while he was trying to create a mythology. Fantastic. And I'm just looking at your notes, you have Tom Bombadil, the, the adventures of Tom Bombadil on this list. You that you chose not to mention was that do you my... No, not at all. The um, uh, loathing of the character. I think the world is big enough. I mean, if you loathe Tom,
1: B- B- Tom Bombadil, I'm sure Sauron the Great loathe Tom Bombadil <laughs> too. So there are at least two of you. But jokes aside, um, the, uh, what uh, you, Colin's talking about is the adventures of Tom Bombadil and other verses from the Red Book. Now these are poems written by Tolkien. The first two are poems about Tom Bombadil. Um, the rest are poems nothing to do with Tom Bombadil So if you really don't like Tom Bombadil You could skip those two The rest are just poems talking
0: happen to like okay. uh, what, can, Just to satiate my, my own curiosity What does Tom Bombadil do? Like, my, my experience of him is uh, as a roadblock In reading The Lord of the Rings Where he just dances about singing dumb songs And waylays the entire journey well, What it is actually
1: Um, the plot of The Lord of the Rings, although it does work as a journey narrative, it is actually the survival of the fact that Tolkien didn't know what he was doing as he was writing it. He was just letting it write itself. And um, it it wasn't as bad as... I'm going to get glares for this. It's not as bad as Moby Dick where Ugh. the, the seams of the initial drafts are still clearly visible. And I, I don't understand why no one made Melville tidy some of the, those <laughs> inconsistencies up. But um, it's still there. It, 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 and so he encountered Tom Bombadil because he was a character he'd invented and he'd written poems about him, so he just shoved him, shoved him in because he needs that character in the narrative. What he represents, I mean, partly he's, you need him in the narrative, but he's a way of um, uh, letting the history now we getting back to the real idea, the history, from the point of view of the characters, the history of Middle-earth, mm. um, become aware to people who, the hobbits who aren't terribly aware of the history of Middle-earth because they encounter the, the um, survivals of the Witch-King's armies, and the Witch-King, of course, is a very important character later on. And also, there's that, and also the fact that the hobbits are kind of a version of English, rural English people, and, so, and Bombadil has a kind of relationship with that. Right. You, The picture may not be entirely, it's obviously a very idealised version of it and not really representing anything that really happened, but it was something that was dear to Tolkien, as could be told by the fact that he wrote two long poems about it and was willing to publish them.
0: Alright, well thank you very much, that was our discussion of some of the lesser known and discussed works of Tolkien. Uh, if you enjoyed this podcast then please do subscribe we have new episodes every other week and if you like what we're doing here please do tell your friends and if you're so inclined give us a review on itunes those five star reviews really do help if you'd like to comment on anything that you've heard or offer feedback please do drop us a line our email is conversations at campion.edu.au i want to thank thomas for joining me today thank you colin (laughs) and we will be back next time with another campion conversation we hope that you can join us then This episode brought to you by Unnecessarily Abrupt Ending Campion Conversations is a product of Campion College of the Liberal Arts, Australia.